Oh my God, I'm chilling. What happened? Oh my God. Oh, I just can't. What? Hey everyone, welcome to People Are the Worst. True Crime Podcast, hosted by identical twins who love plot twists, hate people. You remember. Time time and time again prove that people are, in fact, the worst. I know. It's not us proving it. They're proving it themselves. (laughs) We're just merely reiterating. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm going to, off the jump, give some Patreon shout-outs. Amy, Julie, Whitney, Tamar, Megan, Tripp, Debbie, Megan, again, two Megans, RK, Missy, Danielle. Oh my God. And we have a custom shout out from our new best friend we've ever e-met, Ashley. Hey girl. Hey girl. Thanks. Thank you for joining. Remember $8 tears, get a custom shout out. (laughs) Sorry, still have a little cough. Oh yeah. Rebecca is still a little bit under the weather and a lot of bit pregnant, but don't worry. I'm telling my story today. This is Rachel. But again, as I said in last week's bonus episode for patrons, the verdict is in and my voice is deeper, even healthy. (laughs) (laughs) Even feeling great and not pregnant. Who knew? I broke it to my husband. I was like, I think my voice is deeper than Rachel. Before I even got out, I was like, definitely is. I'm like, oh, oh, God. What up, baby? (laughs) No. (laughs) There's that. There we are. Great. All right. I think I can jump right in, right? I guess. Let's hear it. I hope Rebecca does not know the story, and I hope y'all don't either. This was one of the ones I added, like, very early on to our shared notes where we're like, dibs, dibs. And I was going through it. I was like, why did I call dibs on this one? I kind of remember it. I listened to a a podcast or something on it years ago, and I Googled it. I was like, oh, yeah. Now I remember. So here, without further ado... I'm telling you about Dan and Donna Arnold. I don't think it sounds familiar, but isn't Dan Arnold Roseanne Barr's husband? (laughs) Tom. Tom 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 Arnold. Arnold. You're mixing up Dan Connor (laughs) and Tom Arnold. And Dan Connor is a stand-up guy. I mean, saint. (laughs) Y'all. Oh, my God. Tom Arnold. My mistake. Funny. Yeah. Even putting that into Zoom, Dan Arnold, I was like, hee hee. Raising bars. John John Goodman. Yeah, no, no, it's not. All right. Sources, short and sweet, 99.9% of this came from the case file. The the court documents, there's a couple from appeal documents, tells everything. I did also get a couple of little tidbits from an episode of Southern Fried True Crime, which is a podcast. Dan and Donna Arnold were married in July 1973 in Bridgewater, Virginia. They had two daughters. The first was born in 1978, and I couldn't find when the second one was born. There's very little on the daughters, but sometime after 1978. In 1979, Dan got a job as the minister of music at the Emanuel Baptist Church in Clinton, North Carolina, so they packed up and moved from Virginia to North Carolina. In 1984, 33-year-old Dan started taking classes at the Southeast Baptist Seminary in Wake Forest, so he was commuting from Clinton to Wake Forest, which is like an hour and a half away to take these classes. February 14th, 1984 was one of the days he was in Wake Forest. And after class, Dan went to Crabtree Valley Mall in Raleigh, which is like really close to Wake Forest. And he saw a barber shop. So he figured, I'll go get my hair cut. 
the man cutting his hair was 22 year old Carl Stuffel. Dan and Carl start got to chatting and Carl told him he learned to cut hair in prison. Mm -hmm. Carl was a career criminal. He had a bad childhood. He was in and out of jail, a lot of breaking and entering. He was a drug addict and had recently spent time in prison for larceny and felonous possession of a handgun. But now he was trying to get his life together. After the haircut, Dan asked if he wanted to go grab dinner so they could chat more. And he was like, sure. That's so nice. I know. And the weeks following, Dan would stop by the barbershop when he was in Wake Forest to chat with Carl, and they became the most unlikely of friends. That was really nice. I like to get in, get out with my haircut. Oh, my God. No time for small talk. Very, well, sometimes there's a ton of time for small talk if you're getting your hair colored. I'll tell you that. Yeah, that's true. Dan wanted to help Carl, so he invited him to come to church in Clinton, which Carl did. And while there, he met Donna and the kids. Dan grew really sympathetic to Carl's situation. And one day he told Donna that he wanted Carl to move into their house so he could go to church regularly and they could help him help get him on the right path. Well, why does he need to move in? To, I, I don't know. To uh, keep tabs on him, I guess. He's like a just got out of jail. He'd have nowhere to live. Where's he going to live? Well, he has a job. Where do, he, he has had a, a job life. in Raleigh, but small ass town of clinton i don't know maybe he just was like let's just help and that wasn't the plan forever i'm sure like i'm sure it was just like to get on his feet yeah at first donna was like hard no mm -hmm. we have two daughters this guy's right. a stranger not to mention a criminal and a drug addict mm -hmm. but dan told her it was their moral obligation as church people to help him overcome his drug addiction oh. and she was like oh that's true <laughs> so she came around she okay. was like fine he can move in oh from here, I'm going to tell you right now, I am not making this up. Oh, my God. I, I, I do not even know how to present the series of events that are about to take place. Oh, my God. Are we thinking that she should have trusted her gut and not let him move in? Because it is no one's obligation to have a stranger come live with you is what I really wanted to say. Okay. Well, you can say it. I'll tell you what happens. Oh, shit. Okay. So Dan's like, sweet. Carl, move in. And then I want one other thing to happen. Oh, my God. He tells Donna that he would like Carl to impregnate her. No. Why? Dan <laughs> Dan had had a vasectomy, and I guess they decided that, that they actually did want a third kid. And he said Carl would be a great substitute father to a baby. No. Plus, he said, Carl needed an ego boost, and getting someone pregnant would do just that. So it's a win-win for everyone. No, it's not. An ego boost? I'm not some... Like, I'm not going to be used to stroke some dude's ego. Thank I mean, you so much. Right. Talk about so, putting your body through so much to boost someone's ego. Go to hell. Right. Well, no, it, but she did want a third kid. She, well, there so are other ways to do win, it. It's a win-win for everyone. Nope. There's other ways to do it. Oh, I hate Dan right now. Okay. Well, Donna was like, you are not saying these words out loud. Hard pass. This is not happening. Dan grew incredibly upset by her reaction. He was angry. He was crying. So Donna agrees to this plan. Oh, my God. She wanted to calm him down. So she's like, fine. There are not enough tears in the world to make me agree to this. Thank right. you so much, though. Right. Bye-bye. You and Carl, move out. I've, that get, just get out of here. weird me out. Get out of here. Take a hike. Well, don't worry, because... Very soon after this, Dan changed his mind. He was like, no, no, no. I was talking crazy. Never mind. That's inappropriate. We are not doing that. And she's like, fantastic. 
just like, great, plans off. In April 1984, Carl moves into the Arnold's home. That same day, Donna finds a canceled check from a Raleigh motel on one of the nights Dan commuted for classes. She confronts Dan about it and is like, why did you get a motel room? And none of the sources clarify what he said, but he, he told her some innocent explanation. That night, though, Dan and Carl left to go take the babysitter home. And before they left, Dan gave Donna a long letter. <gasps> They're in love, or Carl and Dan having an affair. In the letter, Dan tells her that the canceled check she found was from the night he and Carl met and had sex. Oh, hey, yo. After dinner, they, like that first night they met after he, you know, cut his hair, they went to dinner and then went back to the motel, to a motel to have sex. He goes on to say he's known he was gay since he was a kid. He had had male lovers in every single place they had ever lived together, including <sighs> Clinton. Oh my God. Donna was very upset and left the house. She ended up just driving around for hours contemplating what to do. She considered divorcing Dan, but ultimately decided that she still loved him and that their relationship and family were worth saving. Mm, poor thing. So she goes home and she's like, it's fine. We'll work through it. And he wanted to. He, she, he wasn't like asking for a divorce. He, was, he did not want anyone to know about this. The next day, Donna and Carl had sex for the first time. Wait, Donna and Carl had sex? Mm -hmm. Why? The very, very next day. Oh, disaster is upon us. He moved in yesterday. She found out that night that they had had sex. And the next day, she had sex with him. Why? Is Carl out? Is he openly gay? He I later says he was bisexual up until this point, but then later realizes that he's heterosexual. But mm. um, I think openly bisexual, yeah. Okay. I'm baffled by this. Maybe Donna just wanted to like get back at him. Here's a taste of your own medicine. How does it feel? Yeah, we'll learn more later in the story, but that initially is her thought. It's like, I just, yeah, want to get back at him. Dan soon found out about Donna and Carl's affair when he walked in on them in bed together. So this went on. It wasn't once and done. God, it's going to be a story of tit for tat. Now Dan's going to have sex with them. Carl's just, no, okay. That's not it. So Dan was pissed. He walked in on him. He's pissed. Carl then started weaponizing this. He was openly confessing his love to Donna, touching her in front of Dan, and then constantly putting Dan down. This really fucked with Dan's head. He started getting bad anxiety, feeling insecure. So on May 18th, 1984, he sought medical treatment, I think to a therapist, I guess. And he told his doctor that he was worried because Carl was younger and better looking than he was. The whole situation was making him miserable, so the doctor prescribed him a tranquilizer. Whoa. Please. Yeah. I don't know what that's going to do. Just chill. Chill him out. I mean, for a day. On May 22nd, Dan's friend Daniel Staten told him that Carl had asked him where he could buy some weed. Mm -hmm. And so Dan was like, hell yes. This gives me the perfect reason to kick him out, which I think <laughs> sleeping with your wife was actually the perfect reason. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But who am I? Weed is the least of your problems right now. Yeah. Walking in on them in bed would have been the opportunity for yeah, sure. The window. So Dan immediately packs up Carl's shit and told him to get out. Right after this, Dan, Donna, and the kids went on a beach trip with Daniel Staten and his family. They did like a joint family beach trip. And while on that trip, Dan told his friend Daniel to bring up Donna's affair with Carl. Oh, brother. He did. And Donna didn't say anything. She just burst into tears. 
like probably ruin the entire trip. Right. Why would you do it? Yeah, why? This says honestly, this really doesn't have much to do with the story. I just thought it was so weird. Like, I don't know weird. what the end game was. I, I, I guess just to make her feel bad, but like a real buzzkill to the trip. I can't imagine being like, all right, I'll bring it up. Like, no, yeah, please I mean, leave no. me out of it. Please leave me out of it. Right, y'all have decided to work it out. That's that. I'm yeah, not bringing it up. Insane. That's so hilarious. I just really wanted to tell you about that. Great. So anyway, when Carl got kicked out, he went back to Raleigh. But in early June 1984, he called the Arnolds begging them for help. He was back on drugs and desperately needed treatment. So the Arnolds agreed to let him come back to their house for a very brief stay. And then they took him to a detox program at Dor Dorothea Dix Hospital in Raleigh. They would go visit him several times a week. But Carl's therapist noticed that all three of them were very physical with each other and what he described as, I'm putting quotes up, a sexual feeling type of thing. He ended up having to tell them to stop the PDA because it was distracting the other patients. Like all three of them. <laughs> oh my God. Like he was like, stop touching each other. <laughs> the Arnolds would also go visit him when Carl got a day pass in which he got to leave the hospital for a couple hours. One of those days was on June 30th, 1984. Donna, Dan, and the two girls went to Raleigh and met Carl at the Hayes Barton swimming pool, which I think is just a public pool, so they could go swimming. And Carl also brought his friend, Gerald Tart. Gerald and Carl met when they were teenagers and they started their careers as criminals together. They would do drugs together, committed robberies together, the whole nine. Mm -hmm. So minister and his family spends the day swimming with two criminals, one of which he and his wife have separately had sex with. Right. Could not invent a situation I know. Yeah. is what I'm telling you. Right. Not long after this, Carl got a weekend pass. So the Arnolds invited him to come stay the weekend with them. But on the Thursday before he was supposed to arrive, Dan found out that Donna and Carl were still having an affair. Good God. Okay. I'm, I think she came clean about it. I think that's how he found out. Mm -hmm. But he's freaking out. Donna is sobbing and apologizing. And Dan's like, that's fine. That's it. You're forgiven, but we're done with Carl. He packed up the rest of Carl's, Carl's belongings and took him to Raleigh and told Carl never come back to Clinton again. Carl's therapist told Dan at this time that this was probably a good idea to cut off ties because <laughs> he learned that Carl was having homicidal ideations toward Dan. Oh my God. So the, the therapist called Dan and was like, just a warning. I <gasps> think he's capable of murder. He wants you dead. You just steer clear. We, yeah, we can pass this off whether you wanted it or not. He's like, great. Holy shit. Dan's the one who brought you in here, Carl. I know. Mm. Carl was released from Dorothea Dix on July 12th, 1984, and went to live with Gerald, the guy that he brought to the pool. Mm -hmm. Gerald also lived with his mom, who sometimes participated in the criminal activity with Carl and Gerald. Just great. saying. So the three not? of them are roomies. Yeah, mm -hmm. why not? Great. Even though Donna came to her senses in Dan's words, Dan was enraged over Carl just completely screwing up their lives. So on July 17th, 1984, he wrote a letter to his friend, Bill Poole, whose brother was an SBI agent, just State Bureau of Investigation, oh, okay. if anyone's curious. In the letter, he told Bill that he wished Carl was dead, and if he could get away with it, he'd kill him himself. He then asked Bill to give his SBI Classic agent- minister. <laughs> I mean, it's, I'm like, what? Oh, good pastor boy. 
He then asked Bill to give his SBI agent brother an enclosed letter to, quote, ensure that Carl pays until it hurts. The enclosed letter was a list of drug dealers that Carl had compiled for Dan at some point. I have no idea why he even made this list to begin with. Maybe to get him on the right path, too. Yeah. I don't know. Like, open it up. Probably start yeah. their journey all honest and everything. Yeah. He told Bill to pass it on to a special friend. He called him in the letter, but obviously referring to the brother. Mm -hmm. So he could let the, these drug dealers know that Carl was now an informant. Oh, God. Dan knew that if these guys thought Carl narked on them, they'd kill him. Yeah. He closed the letter by saying, I want him dead and will not rest until he is. He put it in writing? Yeah. Great. The next day on July 18th, 1984, Daniel Staten, the friend who they went to the beach with and um, Carl asked for weed, mm -hmm. came into Dan's office at the church and told him he thought he saw Carl's car in Clinton. Oof. Dan was pissed, but also scared. Yeah. He told Daniel that he just wanted Carl gone forever, and he even asked Daniel to kill him, to which Daniel said, that's a no for me, dog. Good for you, Daniel. So then Dan told him about the list of drug dealers and the idea about contacting them, saying Carl narked him out, and Daniel was like, no, if you do that, I think you'll end up being killed. It's a terrible plan. Do not do that. He was like, don't get involved in drug these drug dealers. Like, they'll probably kill you. Oh, there's a rational person in the story. Mm-hmm. That night, the Arnolds went to a church service, and afterwards, their friend Michelle Honeycutt and her daughter came back to the Arnolds' house so Donna could give them a piano lesson. They got back to the house around 9.30 p.m., and during the lesson, Donna's contacts started bothering her, so she went to get contact solution out of her purse and realized that she left the purse, her purse at church. The church is, like, down the street. It's really close, so she was like, she told Dan and Michelle she was going to run and get it really quickly. And Dan was like, no, you're in the middle of a lesson. I'll go get it. And she was like, it's oh, fine. God. No one go get it. I have more in the bathroom. Like, I, I'll get it tomorrow. Yeah. And Dan, and so he was like, it's fine. I'll go get it. So oh, she was shit. like, great. Thanks. When Dan was still gone 30 minutes later, Donna started getting worried. So she called the church office and no one answered. So Michelle drove Donna and all the kids down to the church to see what the holdup was. And when they got there, Dan and Donna's six-year-old daughter said, someone's lying on the ground. Oh. And Michelle and Donna, like, got onto her because they thought it was, like, a morbid joke. They're like, don't say that. A six-year-old? Come on. She no, ain't no. joking. Then they see that there's definitely someone on the ground in the parking lot. It was Dan. Of course. He had been beaten, stabbed, and his throat was slit. Oh. Donna's purse was right next to him. Oh, he, he got it. He made it. He was getting it. Donna screamed and tried to get out of the car, but Michelle immediately threw it in reverse and drove to a gas station nearby to call 911. They went back to the church to meet police, and Donna is hysterical. They had to restrain her from running over to him, and then she went into complete shock. Police pronounced him dead immediately. The next day, July 19th, was Donna's birthday. Oh, God. God. So Michelle, the friend, is at the Arnold's house helping her with the kids and like just helping her get through this horrific event. Mm -hmm. And Carl called the house to wish her a happy birthday. Oh, so Michelle picks up one of the phones to listen in. Classic. Nosy AF, but nosy neighbor, but I love a landline drop in. Oh my God. Remember that? Mm hmm. Let's put on mute and listen. Very slowly pick up. Uh -huh. <laughs> Hold, be holding that mute button when you do it and be holding her yeah 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 you know 
Mm-hmm. Not that 1984, probably no meat button. She you gotta just hold that went breath. for it. Yeah, you gotta, she gotta oh, hold yeah. the breath. Oh my God. Receiver on the back end of your head. Oh my God. <laughs> the mouth the ear, Yeah, the earpiece yeah. to your ear, the mouthpiece towards to the, the back, back of, your of your head. <laughs> yeah. Can't be picking up any sort of breath. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so good. It's so good. So Michelle nails it because she does not get caught. But she said on that during that conversation, Donna tells Carl about Dan and he acted surprised, but she was not buying it. She was uh-huh. like, it was not convincing. Right. She's like, I don't like this. Both Donna and Carl were questioned several times by police over the next couple of weeks. On August 3rd, 1984, Donna walked in the police station with a handwritten statement of all of the events leading up to Dan's murder. She came clean about the affair with Carl. She wrote that she lied about her husband's homosexuality to protect his reputation within the community. She just like told him everything. And I think they kind of had wind of it anyway. Like there was town gossip about this like random guy living at the house and it it seemed very volatile. Um, but I don't think anyone knew the extent of it. So she was like, all right, here's the extent. Despite their suspicions, police had nothing to make an arrest. Right after this, Donna and the two daughters ended up moving back to Virginia. And fast forward to January 1987. Gerald Tart was arrested for larceny of a safe. I don't know the story about that, but you know. Okay. Gerald's, um, oh yeah, the other criminal. Gerald's okay. the friend, the childhood Carl. friend who's living with yeah so wanting to help her son gerald's mom slash partner in crime mm-hmm. went to the police and was like all right go easy on him for this larceny thing because it was a felony mm-hmm. and for what i'm about to tell you and i'll give you some hot goss about the dan <sighs> arnold m- murder spill it sister they're like okay she told them that back in 1984 when carl was living with her and uh gerald she found some letters and his stuff also nosy snooping around love it you gotta be kind of get shit done in this scenario right she gave them back to carl and he burned them but unbeknownst to him she made copies Mm -hmm. there were three letters and she handed them over to police they were all written from donna to carl oh shit the first said dearest carl on my way downtown so thought i'd scribble a quick hello before i go please excuse fancy writing paper I love you and I hope your day is going well. I'm so proud of you for going through the detox program and I pray that you will never again be troubled by drugs or alcohol again. Your body is too precious to ever be messed up again. I know you're happy to be breathing some good fresh air and I'm really happy for you. Hope your job hunting will be successful. How I long to be near you, Carl. Love always, Donna. P.S. Kill my husband. (laughs) Well, the second was written July 11th, 1984. Dear Carl, hello. Hope you're having a good day. I've been thinking about you constantly. How is your new job? Do you have to travel far from Gerald's to go to work? Words cannot fully express to you how anxious I am for Wednesday to be here. (sighs) I have real fears for your safety though. Our someday is so close. Please know that I love you with all my heart and want so very much for you to be happy. We'll make a good team. I hope you're smiling. The girls and I miss you so much. All my love, Donna. The Wednesday she's referring to is July 18th. The, um, the day Dan was murdered. Mm. The third one was just a quick, Carl, have a really great day and know that I'm thinking of you and loving you in every way. Keep focusing on our someday. Love always, Donna. Oh my God. These so days. this was enough for police. Yeah. 
In February 1987, two and a half years after the murder, Carl and Donna are both arrested. Mm -hmm. Carl ends up getting a plea deal. If he testifies against Donna, he'll get charged with second degree murder. He actually, before this, never implicated Donna. I think he really did love her. He he was never like gonna throw her under the bus, but then he got this deal and was like, oh, okay, then I'm gonna tell you all the truth. Right, because she will, P.S. Yeah. Gerald Tart also testified, and here's what he said happened. When they went to the pool on June 30th and the family met Gerald, Dan and the kids were out of earshot playing in the water, and that's when Donna and Carl asked Gerald if he could, quote, help them with their problem. And Gerald was like, no, you're on your own. He said that a few days later, he visited Carl in the hospital and Carl asked him again to murder Dan. And he even gave him a map and a key to the church, which he had gotten from Donna. And this time Gerald, Gerald agreed. On July 4th, he drove to Clinton and waited. Donna left her purse at the church. Dan mm-hmm. went to go get it. This seems to be a recurring habit. Yeah. So he went to go get it, giving Gerald the opportunity to attack him. But Gerald said he just couldn't do it. So he left, returned the key and was like, I can't. Oh, God. So Carl's like, I'll do it. On July 18th, Gerald drove Carl to Clinton and parked at a shopping center that was very close to the Arnold House and to the church. He said Carl got out of the car, so he went to McDonald's to get something to eat and then passed time watching high school girls. Ew. Gross. Gross. When Carl came back an hour later, he was bloody and had a knife, but never actually said that he murdered Dan. He said they got in a big fight. Well, I was like, sure, sure. Yeah, he didn't have to yeah. actually say it. So Gerald drove them back to Raleigh and they stopped along the way to throw Carl's clothes and the knife in a creek, like somewhere along the way. Mm-hmm. So that's Gerald's side of the story. And Carl's like, close, but not really. Here's what happened. He said Donna approached him about the idea of killing Dan on the very first day pass from the hospital. Carl asked her if she could just get divorced, and she said no, that would be too hard on the children. What? Too hard on the children. She would rather them be with her when she finds his bloody, beaten, stabbed body than say, like, hey, your dad's moving out. You'll see him every other weekend at his sad little apartment. Oh, my God. I am shook. This is... You are batshit crazy lady. Church going lady. (laughs) Divorce, bad, murder, good. Right. Her first idea was to have someone attack him while he took the dog on his nightly walk. But then they came up with the idea for the purse at the church thing. So she brought Carl a key to the church on her next visit. Carl says that's when he passed the key on to Gerald. And Gerald went there on July 4th, fully ready to murder Dan. The only reason he didn't was because he saw cops in the area, not because he had a change of heart. He was like, no, he was going to do it for sure. He said he talked. So, so he vouches that obviously Gerald did not go through with the plan that time. He said he then talked to Donna on July 17th to see if she still wanted to do this. And she confirmed that she definitely did. So he and Gerald came back to Clinton on July 18th and Gerald participated in the stabbing. He did not sit at the car and wait. Upon investigation of Gerald's car, they did find blood on both the passenger and driver's side. Gerald had also changed his story about the events leading up to the murder that day. Like at first he said they got there and he, they drove around and smoked weed. And then I think they didn't, it was weird. He changed his story. Also a Clinton police officer said that he did see Dan at the church the night of July 4th and pulled up next to him and asked what he was doing. And he said, getting something. 
So like there were, there were cops in that area. Oh uh, yeah. So they're like, yeah, he probably did see us. Yeah. On July 4th, was he, he was murdered on July 4th? No, July 18th, the original plan when Gerald went. Oh, right, right, right. Was July 4th when he, when Gerald says he, he had a change out. of heart. Yeah. Yeah. And um, Carl saying, no, he saw a cop and got scared. Yeah. Lastly, the autopsy showed that Dan was stabbed with two different knives, which uh -huh. I think at first they thought he, Carl had two knives in each uh -huh. hand, but I'm thinking it's clear that Gerald helped murder, right. not just drive a getaway car. Yeah. Phone records show that numerous phone calls were made between Gerald's house and the Arnold house between July 12th and July 18th. Donna first said that that was because Dan and Carl were talking, but then she admitted that it was her and Carl talking. Mm -hmm. Donna also brought forward several character witnesses, including Dan's parents. Oh. They testified to her honesty and caring and loving nature. They did not think she was involved in this at all. Robert, Dan's dad, said that he didn't know anyone with a better character. They even, when she was waiting for trial, had bail. They even posted her bail so she could be at home with oh. her kids. Oh, they did it for the kids. They Well, yeah, they, yeah, but they, they know. fully, on. no, they, I think they stuck by it forever. It would just be such a coincidence that Carl happened to be at the church as Dan in the late no, night. No, they think Carl did all this on his own. Donna had nothing to do with it. Like stole the purse and left it in the church? No, they, they think that's a coincidence. I know, that's what I'm saying. That would be a real big coincidence uh, if he happened to be at the church sorry. as Dan is coming yeah. after it closed to come get a purse. Yeah, no, I know. Sorry, now I get what you're saying. Yeah. During her trial, her defense painted both Donna and Dan as victims, saying Donna was manipulated by Carl, who made her have sex with him by threatening to reveal Dan's secret. They no. said Dan was a victim of the illness homosexuality. Oh, my God. And also murder, but his real illness was homosexuality. <laughs> they said that. Oh, my God. The 80s are weird. Oh, my God. The illness. Yep. The mental illness. That's what they, oh yes. my God. They said it was clearly one homosexual lover against another homosexual lover who rejected him. That's what this murder was. Mm. God. Um, sorry. Isn't that insane? Yes. I just can't. I just had to throw it in there because, wow. <laughs> my God. She's, Donna said she did not write the letters, even though it does look like her handwriting. She said Carl and Gerald's mom must have cut up other letters and notes she had written and pieced them together and then Xeroxed them. Well, that would be clever. <laughs> I, I didn't see the letters, but it would be, I mean, It'd it's like, like a, a magazine cutout. Yeah, like the a classic ransom note. No, you would be able to tell that, I think. Yeah. On March 16th, 1988, the jury deliberated for three hours and found Donna guilty of second degree murder and conspiracy to to commit murder, she was sentenced to 25 years in prison. When the verdict was read, she went into shock. She had to be carried out of the courtroom on a stretcher. Oh, yikes. She had like a medical episode. She yikes. freaking out. The next day, Carl was sentenced to life in prison for second degree murder and conspiracy of first degree murder. On June 5th, 1990, Donna appealed and her second degree murder charge was overturned, but they upheld the conspiracy. On December 5th, 1991, after serving less than three years, Donna was released <gasps> from prison. Wow. 
On August 18th, 2006, after serving 18 years, Carl was paroled. Oh, wow. They're both free right now. Oh, my gosh. And have stayed out of trouble, from what I can tell, both of them. Gerald ended up getting probation for the larceny charge and nothing for his role in Dan's murder. He got immunity. Oh, my God. Because, because he had all the information. Yeah, his mom really, it was his mom, right? His, yeah, his mom was the one who came up with this. Golly, sister. Yeah. He was arrested in 2012 for drug possession, but he seems to have a clean record ever since. Okay. There was a movie made in 2016 called Tarnished Notes, which was shot in Clinton and used local actors. It did not get good reviews. I, I couldn't find, I don't think you can stream. I don't know where you can stream it if you can. I watched the trailer, but um, I'm sure there's somewhere you could watch the full thing if you're interested. But that's the insane murder of Dan Arnold, who... I can't help but like somewhat feel bad for. I'm sorry for saying that I hate you, Dan. Well, he should. He was plotting to have Carl killed too. No, you can't do that right. either. You can't go cheating on your wife. But I, for some reason, I'm like, oh god, he he was a lost soul. He, I don't know. I just well, he had the mental illness of <laughs> God. <laughs> Like, especially with that, obviously, that outlook, he just, like, could never come out. He no. was just, that's why he was like, no, we need to work out this marriage because, yeah. Right. Oh, I don't know. But no, he should not um, have been plotting to kill anyone. Um, so you hadn't heard it? Great. No. Isn't no, that insane? I was yeah, like, that shit. I remember the first time I when I heard it years ago, I was like, I don't want to hear about love triangle, but then it I just know. kept going. And I was like, this is not real. Right. I impregnate my wife was a good start to this crazy story. I mean, and thankfully that did not happen. Right. Where are the kids? Where'd they end up? Surely um, they're not back with their mom. Well, they're adults now, well into adulthood. Oh, I know now, but when she was released in 1991, they weren't probably. Oh, I don't know. There's very, very little. Yeah. Um, the 2016 movie, I think the older one did have a little part in like helping get that made. She was in like a small local newspaper interview, but like there is very little on them. I have no idea, but I would imagine, yeah, they probably did go with their mom. Local actors in Clinton, North Carolina. Yeah, I looked at, when I was briefly looking at their IMDb, a lot of them have been, well, the biggest actress in that movie oh was in like a couple episodes of One Tree Hill, which oh, films, wow. used to film in Wilmington, not far. And then two of them two that I looked twists. up. Two twists. The two other ones that I looked up, I'm wondering if they like, these small town actors got like the bug, the acne bug, because uh -huh. then two of them went on to be in an episode of Snapped, Couples Who Kill. I was like, what? Did, did they be... film those reenactments somewhere in North Carolina? Like, how are y'all both in that? Oh, uh, yeah, probably. Maybe, maybe same episode. Who knows? Who knows? Anyway, so that's that. Awesome. Wow. That, should, that was a good one. I liked it. Thank you. What does Roseanne Barr think of all this? Oh, my God. She's <laughs> nothing. She's, She's the one who said the mental illness thing. I'll tell she you probably that, right? is. Yeah. All right. Thanks, everyone. Y'all, thank y'all. Tell your yep. friends. Y'all are the yep. best. People are the worst.